0: Hey guys, Mike here for Hokie Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy, former downtown Blacksburg business of the year in 2019. Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs, medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family owned business. They got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg.
1: Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire Blue Chip Apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover.
0: hangover, Florida State 39, Virginia Tech 17. Virginia Tech is now 2-4 and four on the season. Guys, uh, pause, all right? Make sure to stop me if you've heard this one before. Virginia Tech got off to a slow start. Virginia Tech then clawed its way back into the game, and then Virginia Tech gave up a couple of pretty large plays in the running game that ended up putting the game away for the opposition and sealing up a loss. Michael noticed
1: that none of us stopped you.
0: Yes. (laughs) Definitely sounds familiar. Yeah. So that's my takeaway from this game. we done. We want to end the podcast after like one and a half,
2: like a minute and a half. We good? (laughs) I was thinking long debate is covering a moral victory. Ricky (laughs) LeBlanc, you go first.
1: Uh, This game has no positive or negative impact on how I view this team. This is pretty close to what almost everyone expected to happen. Tech was able to cover the spread, but don't sit here and tell me that a team that lost by 22 points gets to celebrate a moral victory because they don't. Um, Tech... Tech competed a little bit in this game i was I was definitely pleased with the fight that they showed in the first half especially in the second quarter Facial Tutin's kick return was a game changer and just kind of goes to show that he is probably Virginia Tech's most dynamic offensive weapon right now i I think that that's pretty fair to say given what he's done but there was a moment in the third quarter where it kind of felt like if you were a An FSU fan, you were kind of in the same boat as the B.C. game where you're like, you got to be kidding me, man. We're playing a a subpar team and we just can't put them away. And to Virginia Tech's credit, you know, at least defensively, um, they had a lot of good plays where they were able to kind of bottle up Florida State. And they kept the lid on Florida State's passing game for the most part. But none of that matters when you give up runs of 62 and 85 in the second half and Trey Benson runs for 200 by himself and Florida state nearly gets the 300 rushing yards. So it is what it is. Like I said, I, this is kind of what I think we all expected to happen. Florida state is by far the superior team. Florida state's got better players on both sides of the football. I think right now, Florida state's better coached, and, This doesn't really move the needle for me.
0: Florida State. Go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. I
2: was going to say, aren't you at least happy, though? Going into the game, I really felt like there was two options. Either the game would play out pretty much exactly like it ended up playing out, where Virginia Tech looks a little bit competitive, ultimately loses – by a margin that feels somewhat comfortable for the opponent or Virginia tech gets absolutely shellacked. And for a quarter, it looked like we were heading in the shellacked direction. So, you know, I I at least walk away feeling happy that they put up a fight. Now overall taking the 10,000 foot view, as we say, I'm not happy that I'm somewhat content with that right now. You know, I'd rather be rooting for a team with a higher standard, but that's just kind of where the standard is right now. With the long-term goal of you hope, as I said, you know, a year, two, especially three down the line, we're now looking at a Florida State game where you feel like you should have a chance to compete to actually win the game.
1: I don't know. For me, I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and be like excited that Virginia Tech, you know, didn't lose by 30, you know, like if they had lost by maybe 14 or 17, maybe, then you start to think, okay, they, they comfortably covered the spread. Um, that's probably going to be more consistent level of play from quarter to quarter. And, look, we just didn't see that in this game, right? End of the third quarter, into of the fourth quarter, Virginia Tech was bad on defense. They gave up big plays. It's the same issue that's been plaguing them all season. Nothing changed. The offense went into a bottle. Again, nothing's changed. So we kind of expected that to happen. And that doesn't mean it's okay, right? We're obviously not sitting here saying, oh, it's fine, right? But this I don't think anything we saw
2: surprised us. So nothing that happened, good, bad, and different, impacts your thoughts on this team going into a wake forest. No. You, your your opinion remains entirely unchanged from what it was going into the game? Yeah. Yes. Mike, would you agree?
0: So Florida State in the first quarter out Virginia Tech 198 to nine. Probably one and outscored Virginia Tech 22 to nothing in that frame. Probably the worst quarter of football we've seen in the Brent Pry era. Um Now, granted, some of that has to do with Florida State, but a lot of that had to do with Virginia Tech in the first quarter, too. Uh, defensively, was really bad. Offensively, obviously not very good. Nine yards of offense, no points. A lot of interesting social media reactions, as you'd imagine, right? Looked like this game was certainly going towards a route. This is the best team that Virginia Tech is likely going to play all year. Um, this is a college football playoff contender. Uh, this was a game that I thought could get really out of hand really quickly after the first quarter. Second quarter, Virginia Tech allowed one yard of offense to Florida State, one yard. They outgained Florida State 126 to one. Uh, Virginia Tech outscored Florida State in that frame 10 to nothing. We have seen this from the Hokies this year against lesser competition, right? Uh, dig yourself into a hole, right? Obviously not good, and then dig yourself out of it. We've seen that a couple different times, right? Tech did that against Purdue. Tech did that to some degree um, against Rutgers, and for the third time on on Saturday, we saw that against the best team Virginia Tech's played all year. Uh, the 99-yard kickoff return to start the second half by Bashalto and pulled Virginia Tech within five. Hokie scored 17 unanswered points. I leave Florida this game State
1: scored 17 unanswered
0: then Florida State scored 17 unanswered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I leave this game feeling a little bit better about things looking forward to the rest of the season, if only because it confirmed to me that Virginia Tech is not going to quit, right? We have not, you know, we, we've discussed Virginia Tech this year in a lot of different ways, right? We've talked about the issues they've had on offense at times. We've talked about the issues they've had on defense, specifically stopping the run that continued on Saturday against the Seminoles. But the one thing we haven't said, right. Is that Virginia tech is quitting. We haven't said that, right? In fact, we've said the opposite. (laughs) We've said on multiple podcasts that there are actually plenty of signs to indicate that Virginia tech is not quitting. You're on the road in Tallahassee, you know, (laughs) you've only won two games. You're playing one of the best teams in the country. And when you're down 22 to nothing, it would not have surprised anybody if the Hokies just rolled over and lost this game like 55 to six, that wouldn't have surprised anybody nationally. Right. Like the, the overall view on Virginia tech from an outsider standpoint, you know, for the people who haven't watched like every minute of Virginia tech football this year is that, the Hokies are down real bad, and they're not very good. And, you know, this was a game where Virginia Tech was significantly outgunned. And when you see 22 nothing at the end of the first quarter, you think this, this is heading towards like a 40 or 50-point game, right? And it didn't. Now, again, you can't give up an 85-yard touchdown run to Trey Benson. You can't give up a 62-yard run to Trey Benson after you climb all the way back into the game and you can't have the offense go as stagnant as it did in the second half Um, credit to Florida state for making some adjustments defensively. Certainly Um, the Hokies had a lot of success in the running game in that second quarter that Florida state cleaned up uh, in the second half and really made it hard for Virginia tech to move the ball. Tech's wide receivers really couldn't gain much separation against Florida state secondary. Uh, This is a pretty good Florida State defense. It showed itself that way on Saturday. But I come away from this game encouraged by the fact that the Hokies didn't roll over on the road on national television against one of the best teams in the country when they were down 22 to nothing. Now, again, (laughs) shouldn't have gone down 22 to nothing, right? You got, again, a really bad start. This has been an issue for, for the Hokies all year, digging themselves into a hole and then trying to dig themselves back out of it. But the fact they dug themselves out of it Pulled within five in the third quarter against a team that's one of the best in college football is encouraging. Now, you got to take the positives of this game again against a team where you were significantly outgunned against and move that forward to the rest of the year because there are six games remaining on the schedule. Louisville's probably the toughest one left. But, you know, the way Virginia Tech has played in stretches basically for the entire game against Pittsburgh and then stretches on Saturday against one of the best teams in the country. There's some positives here. We can take away that I think you can move forward through the rest of the year and feel pretty good about against some lesser competition, right? Relative to Florida state, you know, teams that tech's going to be playing here down the stretch of the year that they're on par with. So I come away mildly encouraged, but again, you still lost this game by 22 points. So You can only kind of take that so far, I guess. So I kind of land basically where Ricky does, like maybe not totally indifferent. I'm encouraged by some things I've seen the last couple of weeks for sure. Uh, But there are issues that need to be cleaned up that have yet to be cleaned up really outside of the Pittsburgh game, right? Specifically stopping to run, which was an issue once again on Saturday.
2: I don't know. For me, the entire thing is just a big sigh of relief because you're right, Mike at 22, nothing you are thinking to yourself like this is going to turn into the Miami Dolphins versus the Denver Broncos, where it just doesn't end. But like you mentioned, Tech did put up a fight there. And for a a moment going into the second half, it felt like uh, this one may end up being mildly entertaining. Overall, it it really just things could have been worse. Could have been worse.
1: I mean, yeah, they could have. And that's like if things had gotten worse, I wouldn't I would I would not feel indifferent, right? I would feel pretty defeated about the way that this this game went. But this game really just confirmed to me everything that we kind of already knew about this team. Um they are able to play well for small stretches of games. They continue to have issues on defense, particularly against the run. The offense is very hot and cold and has long stretches of the game where they struggle to score points. And while they have looked a little bit better, if you go back to the Pittsburgh game, there's so much for us to look at prior to the Pittsburgh game that we still is kind of included in our in our data our data set, right? If they go out there against Wake Forest, and we'll do our Wake Forest preview later this week, which shout out to Dwight Vick for coming on uh, the pod for the Wake Forest preview. We're really excited about that. But um, if they go out to, against Wake Forest and they look relatively competent, That's kind of that. I think that you can feel a lot more encouraged about this offense moving forward, but I think we need to see it a bit more than just against the worst team in the ACC and then for maybe one and a half quarters against Florida State.
0: Hokies average six yards per carry in this game. That's encouraging. Now got to put some more points on the scoreboard right 10 offensive points is going yeah. to get it done now <laughs> i do expect them to score a bit more against wake forest if they have 200 yards of offense uh, on the ground <laughs> i do expect
1: to be fair michael and we'll get into this in the preview wake Forest defense is better than advertised
0: yeah yeah
1: it's it, it's fair to say their their schedule has not been strong because uh-huh. that's true yeah but they're numerically speaking, statistically speaking, they're pretty good.
0: Look, Ricky, you and I have had this discussion on this podcast about the Virginia Tech passing defense, right? Where we look at the stats, and Virginia Tech's passing defense looks pretty good on paper. And then you factor in the opponent and you're like, well, teams have been able to run all over him, so Passing defense looks a little bit better than maybe it should. It's a little bit of that going on with Wake Forest, like just opponent adjustment standpoint.
1: And to kind of go along with that, Virginia Tech's passing game has looked pretty suspect for, except for maybe one and a half games. Yeah, so agree with that. It's not like Wake Forest is going to be facing a potent passing offense.
2: Well, I mean, ultimately, and this is kind of like the most apathetic podcast we've had, It really is in a really long time.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Like, I don't have, like, real strong opinions tonight for the first time really all year.
2: I mean, think about it like this, right? When, you know, Kennesaw State plays Georgia, they don't go into the game expecting to win. You can make a relative argument about if some good things came out of the loss. You walk away and you move on and you try to beat the beatable teams on your schedule. Florida State was, let's be honest, like 90, play that game 100 times. Florida State wins 95 plus times in all likelihood. right? Now season's halfway over and of the six remaining games you have left, five of them, are against teams with a combined one and 10 record in the ACC. That one win coming from one of the teams against the other. When Boston college beat Virginia, whether this team has any juice to it, isn't going to be something you find out against Florida state. Agree. You find out against wake find out against Syracuse and NC State to varying degrees. You certainly could find out how low on the barrel you are against Boston College UVA. Wake is somewhere there in the middle.
1: But and that's and that's why my column after after this game, which is available at reckileblue dot com, um uh, basically said that while this weekend was the toughest test on Virginia Tech's schedule, it was not the most important. And the game against Wake Forest this coming weekend, in my opinion, is far more important in how we view this program, how we view the the progress of this rebuild, rather than this last weekend at Florida State.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, like, you look at this closing stretch of six games. I mean, Wake opened as a three-point favorite. Virginia Tech is now favored, right? Kind of a pick Syracuse, you're getting after a week and a half off on a Thursday night. Syracuse's offense, it really seems like if, you know, that's a game where if Virginia Tech's rushing defense were to show up, that game becomes a lot more winnable for the Hokies. BC, NC State, and UVA. I mean, (laughs) Three bad offenses. <laughs> Those are three bad offenses. So, you know, as much as we'd love to write not not us, but like as much as fans would like to write the season off at two and four, Virginia Tech's goal of making a bowl game is still in front of them. Now, it's going to be an uphill climb if you decide that you're not going to stop the run in the last six games, right? Because Wake will run on you, Syracuse will run on you, Louisville will definitely run on you with Jawar Jordan. I don't know if BC will run on you. They're kind of bad. I mean,
1: Castellanos will run Castellanos, all you. <laughs> Castellanos could.
0: Yeah, Castellanos could in theory. Um, Garwo, I'm not really sold on. But NC State's really struggled to move the ball, period. And then UVA, it seems like they're just going to keep starting Tony Musket. So I think if that's the case, and it's not Calandria, that game becomes that game's real winnable anyway, but that game becomes a lot more winnable uh, when you don't have really the added element of the legs with the quarterback. So Virginia tech's goals are still in front of them. Right. And I think there have been certainly some signs over the last couple of weeks, but you know, the whole not stopping the run thing and the poor linebacker play really needs to show up more often than just against one of the worst teams in the ACC. Granted, there are two of the worst teams in the ACC still on Virginia Tech's schedule in Boston college and UVA, but You know, you figure out how to stop the run the last six games, which is something you haven't been able to consistently do over the first six. This is a team that could still make a bowl game. I believe that.
2: So you believe that this team, as constructed, has the talent and the tools to look this six-game stretch in the face and go four and two and make a bowl game. You think they have it in?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, coming into the year, it, it wasn't a matter of, whether or not Virginia Tech was talented enough to make a bowl game. It was a matter of, were you going to win enough of the 50-50 games? Now, there's a difference between looking at a six-game stretch and thinking they could, and then also thinking they will. (laughs) Those are two different things. I still don't think Virginia Tech's going to make a bowl game. Like, Let me make that clear. But I think if you stop the run against these six specific teams we're looking at on the schedule, you stop the run against four of them. Specifically, Wake, Syracuse, Boston. Well, this is going to be five, I guess. Wake, Syracuse, Boston College, NC State, and UVA. Like those are five teams who, you know, are mediocre to a little below average running the football. You can stop the run in those games. There is a path to winning all five of those. Louisville, I think, is the only game remaining on the schedule where I look at Virginia Tech going into the game, and I'm like, they can't, they're they're not going to be able to hang from a talent standpoint. That's the only game I look at. And I'm like, man, that's and plus it's on the road too. But I, I just, there there are winnable games here, and we have six games of data on a lot of these teams too, right? Where I've looked at, you know, Wake Forest has been underwhelming. Syracuse is four and two, but there's a Consistent formula, right? There's a formula to beat them. And if you stop the run and make Garrett Schrader throw, you know, that's the path to beating them. Louisville just talked about being real tough, but then the, the final three, BC's real bad. NC State's now starting MJ Morris. They got a quarterback issue because Morris threw a bunch of interceptions this past weekend. And then UVA uh, finally got a win, but it took coming from two touchdowns down against an FCS school, William & Mary. And regardless of what the records are, Virginia Tech has owned that series for the better part of the last twenty years. So th- they're winnable. It's just a matter of going out and taking care of business, which is something that Virginia Tech just, you know, through six games, is not consistently done. Right. So.
2: Well, well how many of these games would you consider Virginia Tech to right now today? So obviously, we know injuries and stuff will happen down the line, but right now today. How many of these games would you consider consider Virginia Tech to be the favorite in?
0: Probably three. Wake Forest, BC, and UVA. I think they'll be favored in those three. And There's then- an outside chance, outside chance for that NC State game because Tech gets that at home. We'll see what NC State does the next few weeks. There's an outside chance. But I would say definitively right now, looking at the schedule, I would say there are three games that Virginia Tech will be favored in right now. Obviously, subject to change with results of the other teams and results of the Hokies, obviously.
2: Yeah, for sure. And to be fair, Virginia Tech already is a favorite against Wake Forest at the time of this recording.
0: Right. One pick them, essentially. But,
2: yeah. I'm not so sure
1: Virginia Tech is going to be a favorite in the BC game. Boston College has won two in a row. They've got a winnable game against Georgia Tech. They get Yukon and Syracuse before the Hokies. I think they win at least two of those games. Mm-hmm. Probably the Georgia Tech and Yukon game. Yeah. So that's BC fair. at home against Virginia Tech, who who I mean, who knows what their record's gonna be when they get to Chestnut Hill, but I think BC's might be the favorite there.
0: That's probably the least, um, confident out of the three I mentioned that's probably the the game I'm least confident and just because Tech's going on the road I think you know BC's been kind of a mixed bag and like you mentioned the schedule leading up to it probably not the toughest right BC could definitely win two out of those three maybe all three so
1: yeah I I think for me getting to a bowl game would mean Virginia Tech would go five and three in the ACC and I just don't see it happening yeah um I don't think that they I mean To me, six wins is almost out of the question. It's not entirely an impossibility, but it's pretty close. Five wins uh, still kind of seems like it's a, a bit of an aspirational goal at this point. I'm not sure five wins is likely. Until Virginia Tech does what they did to Pittsburgh against a team that isn't Pittsburgh, then I'm still not really believing in their ability to win games against some of these teams that are uh similar in talent, right? We saw them lose winnable games against Purdue and Rutgers and Marshall. Um just because they, you know, they beat up on a really bad team doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden going to be able to have these winnable or actually win some of these toss-up games and winnable games later in the season. So we need to see it again. We we need to see the consistency. We've got to see them be able to replicate what they did against Pittsburgh at least one more time. And they can do that this Saturday.
2: Yeah, I, I, I do worry for myself when I start to get optimistic, when I see some of the things that you guys say, a lot of the things that you see collectively in the sphere. It's a lot of weight being put on one game that really is the statistical anomaly.
0: Yeah, it yeah. Is. It's the anomaly. Yeah. Like it's the anomaly until Virginia tech does it again.
2: And it's
1: on both sides of the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Offensively and defensively.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, Virginia tech hasn't had another game on their schedule where they played that well on either side of the football,
1: not even Um, close.
0: And the special teams actually has been pretty decent all year, right? Special teams actually flying under the radar a little bit, (laughs) being like sneaky decent all year, but the, uh, the offense and the defense have just been wildly inconsistent the entire season. Um, yeah. And I just think it's, it's the anomaly until it's not right. And for tech's techs have proved that it's not because we talked about Pittsburgh being one of several teams that are kind of like doormats in the ACC right now for Jane obviously viewed that way uh, uh, Georgia tech. Well, Interesting ending to the Miami game the other night, but they're largely viewed that way. Uh, BC viewed that way. UVA viewed that way. I mean, Virginia Tech's got UVA and BC still to come. This Wake team is underwhelmed, right? So there's opportunities, certainly. But until Virginia Tech checks off the consistency box, like I was trying to hammer home after that pit recap.
1: Still waiting on the T-shirt there, Mike.
0: I know now
1: everyone who likes to to talk about how bad georgia tech is they have a a five uh more than 500 record in the acc they're two and one
0: bowl game is uh they're still on bowl game watch
1: yep
2: See, the thing is if you're georgia tech you are sort of on bowl game watch with uva and bc yet to come you beat miami by the miracle of miracles You kind of look back and you say, wow, that really is tough to lose to Bowling Green. Bowling Green was one of the ones you had marked in the win column.
1: So I missed this, and maybe you guys can help me. Did We're off topic at this point, but did Crystal Ball explain his decision to not kneel?
0: Not really. He just took responsibility (laughs) for it. Finally, he took responsibility for it uh i think he was trying to get his running back to 100 yards running back was coming back from injury he was at like 98 yards on the final drive i think he was trying to get him to 100
1: so he was playing madden is what you're telling me
0: yeah except anybody else who would be playing madden would have just taken a knee (laughs) i love it i mean he did the same thing in 2018 this was much worse though like the the 2018 issue like cj verdell the reason why they were running the ball with CJ for in 2018 was like, if you picked up a first down, Stanford wouldn't be able to possess the ball again. If like they used all their timeouts and get stopped, there was value to the first down. There was no value to anything on Saturday. <laughs> right. Like they could have in that 2018 game, basically like Oregon could have punted, I guess. Right. If they did a couple kneel downs and then like, they could have punted Stanford boy gotten the ball with like two seconds left. Give him time to do like the whole pitchy, pitchy woo woo thing. <laughs> Try to like get a little bit of a miracle going. Like, there was no reason to not take a knee on Saturday for Miami. All they had to do was take a knee. The game was over. George Tech had no timeouts left. There was 36 seconds left. <laughs> like, all you had to do was take a knee. They didn't have to snap it again.
1: Pitchy, pitchy woo
2: woo.
0: Love yeah. it. So, that was dumb.
2: Truly, really, yeah. you know clutching defeat out of the hands of victory like yeah literally absolutely
0: literally like it's an anomaly right I mean you're in that position 99 times out of 100 Miami wins that game and the one time they didn't was Saturday so Georgia Tech was very fortunate that they picked up that one in the win column the fact that Miami just decided they were not going to play defense on the final couple (laughs) plays either because Haynes King did not do a thing all night and then hit two of the biggest throws of the night on on back-to-back plays essentially to to win the game crazy
2: got that clutch gene man he's got some braxton burmeister in him
0: christ <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> hey guys mike here on behalf of our podcast partner vivid seats that's right hokey hangover podcast is partnering with vivid seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to VividSeats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. All right. Uh, do we have anything else? Uh, this for, doesn't have to
2: be the longest podcast we've ever done. We've got a good State? one coming up.
0: I just – can we see some life out of the linebacking core? No. Please? No. am sorry. Can't. We can't? <laughs> okay. Fresh out of that.
1: some <laughs> <on Fresh>. backwater. <laughs> I don't know, no, I mean man. It's um it's pretty frustrating, honestly, that the linebackers have dealt with this issue from from essentially week one. Mike, you talked a lot about how these are correctable issues, right? Well, yeah. we thought. <laughs> well, no, 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 <laughs> we listen. thought they
0: were correctable. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. When I brought that up, I brought that up, I guess, after the Purdue loss, right? I think it was. And your response, Ricky, was, Well, they are correctable, but there's a difference between them being correctable and them being corrected. Yeah. And we're through six games and they've only been corrected once. Yep. So, and it was corrected against the worst team in the ACC. Yeah. And again, I mean, the the Florida State rushing lines here are really annoying because they had two really big runs. And outside of that, Virginia Tech made them work for everything they got. You know, (laughs) it was like 100 and. 145 yards on like two runs. It just can't happen, man. You know, it just really can't happen. And this has been the story of Virginia Tech season. It's really been the story of the last few weeks in particular. Um, before that pit game where Virginia Tech was making Rutgers and Marshall really work for it. And then they broke a couple of big runs, right? There were signs of Virginia Tech's rushing defense for like 85 to 90% of the snaps, you know, we're figuring things out, figuring out how to tackle. And then it was the couple plays where they didn't in each game that quite honestly cost the Hokies wins. You know, when you look at the final score and you look at, you know, the moments in the game in which those runs took place, I'm not saying for chain tech was going to beat Florida State, but you know, to have Tootin return at 99 yards for a touchdown and then literally like three plays later have Trey Benson go whatever it was, 63 yards for a score, that's a killer, man. it's been it's all in the year. Absolute all. It's been all year, and you know Virginia Tech gets a stop defensively. There gets the ball back down five, and this offense had been cooking there in the second quarter a little bit. Got some stuff going on the ground, and again, you credit Florida State for the adjustments they made in the second half. Not to say they wouldn't have gotten a stop there, right, and gotten off the field and then scored another way, but for Virginia Tech to kind of roll over defensively in the biggest moment of the game again is a killer and it's been the one consistent thing all year with this team has been the propensity to give up a really big run at inopportune time. And it's the
2: opposite of bend, don't break defense, it's right? Hold firm. And then Literally. snap in half.
0: That's, that's honestly like <laughs> that's right on the money. It's yeah, that is it's, it's bend and then break. <laughs> like all they do is be- they they bend for like eighty five percent of the snaps, and then they break on the fifteen percent that costs them the game. I mean, that's been the story for three out of the last four games. They don't just break; the
1: they like combust.
0: Combust. It's not like <laughs> it's not like he gave up a twenty five yard touchdown run. You're like, no. oh, shit, man. That's like it, it's not like he gave up the the you know Duke run against Audrick Estime with Notre Dame a couple of weeks back, right? Where it was like the moment in the game, and he broke a thirty yarder. Like, that was a tough pill for Duke fans to swallow. But try being a Virginia Tech fan, and all year you're watching 60-yard runs, 70-yard runs, 85-yard runs, like we saw on Saturday. On a real basic – the 85-yard run made me sick, man, because that was like a real basic sweep play out of shotgun. And it was like – I mean, he went untouched, Trey Benson did, up the sideline, just –
2: come on, man. I mean, it it has literally happened in three of the four losses that – you're in a moment where Virginia tech has crawled their way back into the game. After going down, the defense is starting to look a little bit better. You start to think to yourself, we get a stop here. We get the ball back and victory is within reach. Like the momentum is going in Virginia tech's favor. And then like basic inside zone, 50 yards to the house, the momentum deflates like a sad balloon. And, you know, that's the story of the game. You lost.
0: Yeah, I thought the defense particularly line, demoralizing. Yeah. And I thought the defensive line, uh, once again, was pretty bad on Saturday, uh, especially in the second half. The, the first two levels of the defense in the second half, just really disappointing. Very, line.
1: very uninspiring for the most part.
0: Yeah, uninspiring. I guess on more of a positive note, I came away overall for the really the third time in four games. Pretty happy with how Tyler Bowen called the game. <laughs> Again, I, I talked about against you know, in that um in that Rutgers loss. I thought Virginia Tech's execution was poor, but I thought the play design was pretty good and Kyron Jones' first start. You know, I thought they were trying to make it comfortable. The Marshall game we talked about, you know, having them be kind of a traditional drop-back passer. Didn't love it. Really liked the play calling against Pitt. And then I liked a lot of what Virginia Tech did for stretches of the game on Saturday against Florida State. And I think Virginia Tech was really, really overwhelmed by Jared Verse and Florida State's pass rush. Like, there were some plays that were just dead in the water just because they had the athletes up front. They had the horses up front. Virginia Tech just simply didn't on the offensive line. But, you know, there were... There were some plays there that I thought were drawn up pretty well. The Florida State just blew up, um, and it was unfortunate. So I'm I'm real interested to see this Wake Forest game on Saturday. I think it's a really big measuring stick game from the standpoint of we're starting to see, you know, just some inkling of what we think Bowen wants to run. <laughs> and it seems like we're getting some consistency in the play calling over like a larger sample size with Chiron drones seems like he's getting a little bit more comfortable as a play caller with him. So I'm interested to see it against a similar caliber of competition in Wake Forest on Saturday to see if, you know, some of these trends that we saw, and again, it's Florida state. So I'm, I'm trying to couch this with, Florida state blew a lot of these plays up, but how much of that was on Virginia tech? How much of that was on Florida state? The answer most of the time, lies somewhere in the middle, I think wake forest will be a pretty good indicator of whether or not this offense really is taking some more steps in the right direction.
2: And that's the thing, right? I mean, we talked about. This is a measuring stick game and Virginia tech measured out to be pretty much exactly who we thought they were. You know, riding the little bit of extra optimism that you get based on the performance that you saw in the pit game. I feel like you can't leave the Wake Forest game feeling like that was a neutral result, right? We can either see it again or we don't.
1: All that matters is the dub, honestly. Win the game. It, yeah, it it does not need to look pretty. Kyron Drones doesn't need to score five touchdowns again. They don't need to turn Wake over a couple times. Just win the damn game, because ultimately, wins and losses are what's going to determine whether or not this is working. And when you're playing in pick'em games and you're playing against teams that have relatively similar levels of talent, you just got to win. It just is what it is. So. They can go out there and win 20 to 14. And while we might criticize the offense a little bit, we're going to praise the defense for giving up 14 points. And we're going to focus on that because they won the game.
0: Well, I think I think that's a good segue because we got a question from Steve Bryce. I think it kind of plays into this a little bit, right? How Virginia Tech looks over the final six games versus kind of what their record ends up being. Just want to bring this up before I forget. If Pry can finish three and three over the last six games, so that would mean that Virginia Tech went five and seven, right? He finishes three and three over the final six games to so you three, like three of us think that Pry needs to make staff changes or bring on more veteran staff help in the off season. So my answer to this is, and Ricky and I were tossing this around Andrew before you, uh, before you jumped on, before we hit record tonight. My thought here is that if Virginia tech goes five and seven, I don't think they're going to be any major staff changes. Like I don't think that he's all of a sudden going to fire bone or fire Chris Marv or anything like that, you know, make significant changes to the coordinators. I do think there could be some potential additions to the staff in terms of like analysts (laughs) off field roles. Like we, we were talking about, you know, the difference that Jerry kill made for Virginia tech, a few years back for Justin Fuente, speaking of which Justin Fuente just got hired in an analyst role at Indiana, so you know, kind of full circle on this subject (laughs) Uh, but also I think it has a lot to do with how does the team look if Virginia Tech goes 3-3, and it's probably just going to be a mixed bag like we've seen all year, right? I think there are going to be some games where Virginia Tech's offense performs well, some games where defense performs well and then Really, if it's three and three, it's probably going to be a lot of inconsistency. I think three and three, uh, Ricky referred to the five win mark as an aspirational goal. I I think three and three just kind of proves that, okay, for Jane Tech's a five and seven team, it would be a step in the right direction from a year ago, but it's a rebuild and it would still leave a lot to be desired, right? Because of what we've seen so far, we've seen losses to Rutgers and Purdue and Marshall, winnable games for Virginia Tech that didn't necessarily go the way we wanted to. And it's prob- it would probably mean that there was some of that down the stretch of the season, too, with some of the games that we talked about tonight that are 50-50 toss-up, winnable-type games that Virginia Tech simply didn't win. So I don't think there would be any major staff changes even You know, if there were some games where the offense performed real poorly and the defense performed real poorly, because at the end of the day, if you go three and three down the stretch, you win five games. You're really not that far off from bowl eligibility, right? You're one game, one win away from that. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the inconsistency. I think it would make for a really pivotal year three for not Brent Pry necessarily, but for some of the coordinators, right? Uh, Depending on how this shakes out the final six games. If
1: they're able to go three and three, you're probably looking at both coordinators retaining handing their jobs. And to be fair, I think that that might be the better decision because um, that means they probably will have shown improvement from first half to second half. So a lot of it's going to depend on the details, but if you get to that mark, I think they're both safe.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys hit a lot of it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, a three-win total season, if they win one more game, then Pry is going to be forced to get rid of the coordinators. Three and three down the stretch means that Pry has to look at himself in the mirror and the two years of data points that he has and say, do I still trust Tyler Bowen more than generic alternative that I could find on the employment market to lead this office. Like, ultimately, their job performance reflects upon your job performance. Are you still willing to roll with them? My suspicion would be probably yes. But yeah, three and three, no one's hands being forced. But, you know, we've heard Brent Pry question the play calling, you know, over the course of the last year, call it generic. I'm not saying Tyler Bowen isn't his guy, but, you know, sometimes when comments like that are made, maybe you feel like a bit of the truth is coming out. Is that the guy that you want to roll with? If two years into this thing, Virginia Tech isn't, uh, you know, cracking the top 100 in offense and FPS? winning five games but this schedule that's gonna look like i assume with all the dust settles and it's all said and done one of the easiest in power five really like it, it, it's hard to draw up an easier one in a power five conference i, I yeah. challenge someone to do it yeah you know, these are all important questions that it's the job of the head man as essentially chief executive officer of your own program has to make. I don't know. But again, there's so much granular detail that goes into it more than just a theoretical win-loss record. Even from an optics standpoint, like, is one of those three losses UVA? That makes a difference. It does to the fans.
1: I don't even want to entertain... The idea that Virginia Tech could lose to this version of the Virginia Cavaliers. Why not? I, I, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't either. But I, I, it's on the
0: table.
2: I don't want to talk about it. It's on the table. I don't think I'm it's not, likely. I don't want to talk about it. It's As vulnerable as Virginia Tech has been in the UVA game.
1: Moving on. Let's do, let's talk about something. else. (laughs) I'm not
2: saying we will It's just, that's, that's the truth. I know I didn't play last year. I don't even
1: want to consider the thought. I don't want to consider it a possibility.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I I think the, Andrew, the point you made, not to belabor the point here, but what you just said about, you know, you have two years of data points now I think is really important because year one, I think a lot of people use it as kind of a throwaway. Everybody. Blame Justin Fuente for it, which is fine. Cover left was really left bare. Weird year. Virginia Tech goes three and eight. Strange season. But this is two years of data points we're dealing with here, right? I-, I think it's real easy to get sucked into like the results this season because that's the year we're in. And, you know, college football fans, especially those who really just follow their own team, are so you know, focused on the micro. That you know, you got to kind of take a step back and know that like Pride does have two years of data points here, and it's multiple offensive issues across two years, multiple defensive issues across two years. All that to say, if Virginia Tech does go three and three, Pride's keeping the coordinators, and I think you would want him to, as a Virginia Tech fan, I think you would want that continuity. You don't want to change coordinators through two seasons of a rebuild unless you absolutely have to. You really don't want to do that. Um, You know, Especially when you look at this roster, guys, on both sides of the football, Virginia Tech's going to be returning. uh, Just take the transfer portal element out of it just for sake of this conversation and just look at it from, because we don't know, right? We don't know who would transfer in, who would transfer out. We just don't know the answers to those questions. But just looking at the roster and how it stands right now, Virginia Tech is running heavy on underclassmen on both sides of the football. I guess the one position group where we could point to and say they don't have a lot of underclassmen there would be the interior defensive line, right? With Kendricks, Pollard, and, and Fuga, that's the one area of the roster with starting rotation players where you're like, that's going to be a huge question mark going into the next year because they just have a lot of young guys at that position right now, or, or um, young guys at that position who aren't playing right now.
1: I'm not even sure what Fildarius Payne's uh, eligibility is. I don't know what that
0: looks like. His
1: career has been kind of an up and down injury mess,
0: right? So I don't know if he's even eligible next year, off the top of my head. But like, this is a young roster on both sides of the football. Young at the skill positions, like Jennings. I think there's a chance that Allie Jennings doesn't play the rest of the year, right, with that ankle injury that probably just won't disclose how bad it is, but it's obviously bad enough that he needed surgery. Like, if he doesn't come back, he's eligible for a medical redshirt. Like, he could come back next year. Jalen Lane, come back next year. Kyron Drones, Tooten, Tootin. Young younger receiver outside of their top two receivers, right? Um, Outside of Lane and Jennings, the Hokies are young. Like, Felton's eligible. Felton, I don't know if Felton's eligible to return. I don't know that off the top of my head. But the Hokies have options, right, on offense and on defense of guys where, you know, another year in the system, in the current system, offensively, defensively, I think would benefit them. You don't want to fire the coordinators unless you have to. So a three and three record down the stretch, the final six games. Yes, you miss out on a bowl game. No, I don't think that would be the time where you're going to pull the trigger on firing those guys.
2: Yeah, checks out to me. I mean, it really depends, obviously on all the factors that we just mentioned. But like I said, I mean, it is on Brent Pry. There's never a good time to get rid of your offensive coordinator. If he's not the guy, he's not the guy. Is it better to go to come to that conclusion next year? And then you're Brent Pry going into year four where you have to win to keep your job and you're switching your coordinators. I don't know. It's like, is Tyler Bowen better than generic replacement? You can get off the street. Situation of bringing someone new in and all. It's a question that only he can answer. I hear Brian Ferentz might be available. I'll give a shout out to Matt Masciosi here. Maybe Matt Canada (laughs) will come available.
0: (laughs) By the way, um, Felton would be eligible to return next year. Uh, He redshirted in 19 and 2020. He's got the COVID year. Norfolk State just simply did not play in 2020 uh FCS did not play during COVID. So there's a typo actually. I'm I'm looking at this. I just want to bring this up. I'm on the Virginia Tech athletic site. I'm looking at Daquan Felton's bio, right? Just to get a sense of his eligibility. They called it the COVID ten pandemic. (laughs) For the uh I missed that one. (laughs) It said uh did not compete as Norfolk State. This is the 2020, 2021 season did not compete at Norfolk State. Um Norfolk State elected not to participate in the rescheduled spring 2021 NCAA FCS season during the COVID-10 pandemic. So obviously a typo there, just want to bring that up, made me laugh.
2: (laughs) I will say to your point about it not being worth it to replace the coordinators. And as you talk about the guys coming back and thinking about what we've seen so far on both sides of the ball, you definitely have more of a sense at least halfway through year two that though this team might not be particularly excellent, that seeing the impact that transfers have made already in this year and the fact that most of those guys will be able to come back, if the portal is played correctly, patching in a few holes, provided that some development is there, could take this team to higher places. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did not feel that way last year. It seemed like that team was very far gone. That team was a evolution of the team that we, or the roster that we saw go out there against Maryland in the pinstripe bowl and get absolutely shellacked. Like, that was your baseline. It didn't feel like last year we were that far above that baseline. Taking a couple steps in the right direction where if holes can be patched.
0: Yeah, there's there's roster improvement there are still holes at significant positions where I think it's affecting Virginia Tech's ability to compete against some of the better teams on their schedule, which is what happens in a rebuild. But it's the consistency against these 50-50 opponents where we really need to see some progress in the final six games because we did not see that really in the first six. Absolutely. Well... We could, have been, we could have been done with this podcast in about 25 minutes. We stretched it out to about an hour, so you guys ain't got anything else.
1: Uh, last thing I'll say is completely not related to football, and I generally try to avoid this kind of stuff on the podcast, but um, I just wanted to say that I am praying for all of those in Israel that are being affected by what's going on over there. It's absolutely disgusting, and... Uh, very sad and praying for all of those impacted.
0: Not good.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely second that. Um, I don't know beyond that. I went to University of Georgia, saw an SEC football game. People in Georgia, they, they do it pretty good down there. I think Lane Stadium was a little bit louder. I genuinely mean that. But maybe they just have – Maybe they're harder to get excited down there when you've won two straight national championships and you're curb-stopping people.
0: Never. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they... A
2: bit more casual at that point. Yeah, I mean,
0: they vaporized Kentucky. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Kentucky, Kentucky, I think, might be a, a pretty decent SEC team this year, and they just did not belong on the same field. Different, different talent levels, different sport. It's a different sport, that's for sure. Glad you had a good time, though, Andrew.
2: Yeah, no, it was fun. Shout out to the dogs. Rate, review, subscribe. Shout out Main Street
1: Pharmacy. Shout out Home Field Apparel. Shout out Vivid Seats.
0: We will be back Wednesday night. Podcast will be on your feeds late Wednesday. Our preview of Wake Forest, kind of a mid-season review with Dwight Vick. Looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, so we'll talk later this week. Go Hokies.